Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. And once again, we want to thank uh, Dan Hines. He's agreed to come on and be a special guest host again to help with this interview with David James Keaton. Dan, thanks for coming on. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. And welcome back. Lots of good feedback on having you on our last episode, by the way. So thank you. Oh, thanks. It was my pleasure. I'm prepared for uh, the author to make fun of me tonight and ridicule me after my review of his book last week. <laughs> I've already seen it on Facebook. I can't wait for tonight. Um, speaking of the author, David James Keaton's fiction has appeared in anthologies such as Dead Core, Dark Highlands, and The Death Panel, as well as in Dark Sky, Plots with Guns, Thuglet, and others. Uh, we recently reviewed ZBMB here on uh, Booked, and uh, David was gracious enough to come uh, on the show and talk with us a little bit tonight. Hey, David, thanks for taking the time to come on our show. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm going to launch into kind of a weird question, and this is something we've just we've run into with some of the authors we've had on. Um, does having three names in your name just make you a better author than those that only have two? Oh, see, I I, w- I went into this on that last podcast. I I'm only doing it because there's another David Keaton out there who's dominating the Google charts. <laughs> if you guys did, you Google David Keaton to see what you get. DavidKeaton.com actually gets uh, one of those uh, where they help you fix your PC remotely. <laughs> well, if you if you either just Google David Keaton and Death Row or Danny Glover because he played the character of David Keaton on this uh, Death Row movie where he gets acquitted, but he's the first guy acquitted from Death Row. The guy's name's David Keaton, so he he dominates Google. So I put the James in there, so just to sort of squeak past him but then there's also a mount everest climber and he's uh <laughs> he's like number four number five so that's part of the reason and then i figure if i get a reputable job i'll just use dave keaton and then maybe they won't find all this other crazy shit i wrote <laughs> well it seemed to work wonders for david foster wallace so that's what we were thinking maybe that <laughs> yeah, was, he's, uh, he's doing really good he's doing good <laughs> Have you guys looked at the cover of that book? Um, I, you, I saw it on your podcast. You guys had the, the Pale King on there. Yep. Why did they not use, you know, the Suicide King, the king with its point of sword at his head? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, all I know about that cover is that it actually was designed by uh, David Foster Wallace's wife. Right, yeah. That's what somebody told me to shame me for asking that question. But it seems like you, you'd have to use that king. You, it would be the obvious choice if you asked me. Exactly. So, previously we reviewed ZB&B, uh, and we kind of told listeners what it was about. Can you tell us, in uh, your own words, what the story's about? Well, um, I mean, I guess the short, short version is it's a, it's a bed and breakfast where people pay. I mean, this is, this is what I want people to think it's about, until <laughs> you start reading it. You're supposed to think it's about a bed and breakfast where people pay to be attacked that you'd have to go through the, the puzzle of protecting yourself from some sort of invasion and that that would be fun, like those murder mystery weekends. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then it, the story just 
got out of hand. I mean, it was based on uh, an actual attempt. Me and my friends were going to make one. We are going to have an actual ZB&B. Because it was an old house in Toledo, and we thought we'd buy it. And have we'd just all pound on the walls, and people would pay us all sorts of money to endure that. <laughs> and, and that never really took off, so... We kind of switched to um, just watching movies and daydreaming about that shit instead. So, the, I mean, the stories had so many incarnations. It was just going to be a straight version of what would happen if people did that. Then when, when I got to the end of the story, I thought I should introduce some sort of, if not a straight supernatural element, just the, the out that there could have been one. Mm. So, rewrote it and then it got to be so long that I thought well it'll never get published so I cut it in half and I sent uh, the puzzle sequence out by itself at propeller hats section thinking that that would stand alone because it was a good like 20 pages of of mayhem and um, that one got really close it almost got into a couple anthologies and which is worse than just getting rejected outright so it, that never got in anywhere and I put it back together and figured screw it, it's never going to get published, and then I saw Comet Press put out a call for submissions where they wanted novellas, um, and uh, then it could be as big as it needed to be, and so I put the supernatural element back in it. I mean, if that happens, I don't, I don't like to say that that's actually what happens in it. I like the idea that it could just be these people getting out of hand what they're doing, and uh, I put the puzzle back in it and crammed shit in it daily even even the comment you guys made i crammed that in there <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's the beauty of these ebooks you can change them hour to hour i just keep putting stuff on it and then resubmitting it to amazon it's uh it's interesting you mentioned that puzzle element because that's something i really liked but <laughs> in our review i feel like we focused so much on certain things and didn't talk about others like the puzzle element was really cool but also how humorous it is and that we almost said it not after the fact, but towards the end. And, and if I were to introduce the story to um, to someone, one of the first things I would say is like, hey, there's this funny story about, you know, that involves zombies and stuff. So uh, feel free to uh, chime in with how terrible we are for forgetting to mention that at the beginning. <laughs> no, that's the, that puzzle thing, um, more accidents. It, it wasn't even, it got funny because we couldn't figure out how to do it. <laughs> I was sitting around talking to... Um, my friend Nate, he's the one who actually did the photographs. There's an old um, asylum by his house, and he went in and took all those broken window pictures. But we're sitting around talking about that. It's a logic puzzle, the executioner and the four hats. And we're, we're thinking, that should be in a movie, but how would you do it? Because in, you know, they, somebody would have to be blind or because you're supposed to be um, blindfolded. And, and we thought, well, there's got to be a way to do it where somebody's dead and somebody's alive. And um, we just... We couldn't figure it out, and then I just had a this revelation. Why not just put word for word our conversation in the story about how it doesn't, you know, and it makes it completely believable because that is us discussing how it's just not going to work. And then if it doesn't work, then that's even that's even more believable. So that's just one of the many happy accidents. <laughs> Um, the story first appeared in Deadcore, an anthology, as you mentioned. Um, why did you choose to release it on its own? Well, there was some interest in expanding it. I, I'd heard from a couple people about making it longer, and that it, not that it was unsatisfying, but that there was 
so much. I mean, it has like 35 characters in it. So I, I was expanding it. And then after it was published in Dead Core, it was already double the size. And so it just seemed like a, a way to put that out with the uh, drinking game that we attached to the back of it. Because we, when Deadcore came out, again, this guy Nate, Nate, Nate Lamoureux is the guy's name. We came up with a drinking game that you'd play while you watch zombie movies, and then we thought, well, maybe we could do it while actually reading a book, which, again, is ridiculous. But So I crammed all that stuff together, and um, it just seemed like it'd be a nice pile of stuff, you know. And, uh, and these e-books, these little 99-cent jobs, it seemed like a good way to do it. And this, this company, uh, Bunyip Books, said they were interested, and we just sort of stacked it up. So you mentioned the uh, zombie drinking game. Uh, did you want to tell us a little bit about it, and have you played it yourself? We played a variation of it before I moved out of Pittsburgh, but we did it with Bingo, so it was called Zingo. <laughs> we, we took all the little cliches, and we just put them on a bingo board and then watched a couple zombie movies, and, and then we put little uh, tokens on the bingo board, and then I would give them some sort of thing or toy I wasn't packing up to, to move to Louisville with. Although this is this is actually kind of interesting, we're playing Zingo. This friend of mine, um, she wins. You know, she she gets all the zombie cliches, yells out Zingo. So I go get her all these uh, those McFarland toys. Anybody remember those? A few years ago, that those real detailed movie versions mm-hmm. of they did like the slap shot hockey players and uh, <laughs> creatures from the thing. But I had Shaft, the Samuel Jackson version of Shaft. And I thought, oh, she'll love this. So I give her Shaft. And uh, fast forward a couple months, a friend of mine on campus at the University of Pittsburgh, he's like, we just had a white elephant uh, party where everybody traded shit they didn't want. And I <laughs> traded three things to get you this thing. I think you're going to love it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Fucking uh, Samuel Jackson toy. And then I have to add, now he's going to hear this. He's going to know I know it. <laughs> He brings it all the way back to me, so she pretended like she liked it, and then I pretended like I never had it, so it's just a circle of lies with this chef, <laughs> but what was the point of all that? Oh, yeah, that, uh, that was a prize for Zingo. <laughs> that was the first, first incarnation of the drinking game. It was also on the Comic Press blog, too, and it was real popular over there. People were getting alcohol poisoning from trying it. <laughs> so. Hey, um... So Dan's under the impression that um, you're either all about zombies or you don't really care. Like, there's no real middle ground. Um, do you think that's true? And where would your level of commitment to that fall in that range? Um, well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the movies. You guys very justifiably called me out on not reading any zombie literature. And there's, I have read some. I just didn't think to refer to it in the story. It just didn't seem part of that universe. Mm-hmm. Like, People that watch the zombie movies wouldn't be reading the books or something, but um, I'm glad you brought up Dan because he actually <laughs> <laughs> he actually called me out on the, on something that was that's pretty important. The uh, all this Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to admit that I don't know anything about zombies because I have all these zombie movies, but I don't know shit about sports, <laughs> and that's got to be pretty obvious. <laughs> reading. I'm, I mean, the, the Troy Palomalu thing? Yeah. Actually, um, I actually made a, I made a little... T- I don't know if you guys can hear this. This is... Uh, list- I listed the things that Dan got wrong, and I made a little recording. So <laughs> <laughs> this was... Uh, I think we're talking about a story. 
Okay. <laughs> that falls in the first third of the of the bride. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> but uh, but that we'll we'll come back to that. But here's here's where Dan makes a good point. Okay. Yeah, obviously watches sports and loves zombie movies. However, I got to call this out on the podcast. So I talked to you about this. Uh, he talked about Troy Palomalu, who is a defensive player on the Steelers. In the, in the context, he uses him in the story. He puts him in like an offensive uh, thing where he got hit so hard or almost like where he's carrying a ball. If you're on defense, that's not going to happen. Okay, so... You're absolutely right, and I've had time to think about that. I've had time to come up with an explanation, and this is an explanation I've used for years. The character can be wrong about something. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong about it. <laughs> this is narrated by a guy who doesn't know anything about sports, and I know that there's talk about the Ben Roethlisberger being decapitated but still trying to rape people. I want you to take that part of the story literally, but the... <laughs> that, the Troy Palomalo thing, that's that's allegory so <laughs> headless rapist that's actually happening in the story there is a headless quarterback that's still trying to rape people but troy palomalo that's like a fable that's just a guy trying to make a point and it's so you're right that character doesn't know anything about football and neither do i actually so. I'm going to use that same defense on my podcast when I make mistakes about movies. I'm going to say the host of the podcast doesn't know crap about movies, but I, on the other hand, know a ton. So I should just trust that the host is clueless and not myself. And, and in all fairness, one of the other characters knew what he was going on because the other Bobby was disagreeing with him and saying it was impossible. Exactly. So there, now, that we, now that we've cleared all that up. Exactly. Well, we haven't cleared up everything because Dan... Uh, <laughs> It, uh, I, I couldn't record them all, but there was a list of about three instances. Uh, I think it comes at about 17 minutes in, and then about 19 minutes in, he refers to dream sequences. And then <laughs> one more, 20, I think it's like 2103 or 04 approximately. He talks about a lot of dream sequences. I just want to say there are no dreams <laughs> in this story whatsoever. I just wanted to, I wanted to get out. If we have time, I'll play. We can play all those, but... <laughs> I'm sure um, Rob can go back and splice those I in. I can cut them in. <laughs> yeah. I also I, uh, preface I it with saying I have ADD. <laughs> well, I was hoping to just play this series of dream sequences, dream sequences, dream sequences. <laughs> like how many times you said it? I think you said it like 45 times, but you might have said it. You might have said it three times. Well, if you if you do some masterful audio cutting, you can make it sound like hundreds. <laughs> yeah. Gonna re-record that whole episode and make sure that he says it like 40 times. <laughs> Cut and paste. That's right. <laughs> All right. So uh, you mentioned you like zombie movies more than the zombie literature, or that you feature that more in the book. What are your favorite zombie movies then? Uh, movies, uh, you know, Della Morte, Della Morte. When you guys, I'm so glad you guys brought that. I I watch that all the time. I have a bootleg of it. That's um, it's not the uh, the American version is called Cemetery Man, and it cuts out a lot of the nastier stuff. So. That's about the only zombie movie I still watch on VHS because I can't get a hold of the um, I didn't, Italian version. I didn't mention this on our previous episode because Dan had called out his former coworker for it. I purposely bought a DVD player that I could take off the regional coding and then ordered mm-hmm. um, ordered the movie from Japan nice. um, in order to be able to watch it after catching it on like IFC one night at like three in the morning. So, so geek geek cred there for zombie <laughs> fans. So. It's, it's such a good one. I mean, if you have to settle for Cemetery Man, that's still a decent movie. But um, 
the the original or the uncut version is the best. And they remade it with there's some piece of shit called Dylan Dog. Did you guys see the ads for that? That's oh. the same. It's based on the same material. It's just inexcusable. It's actually um. All right, here we go. Geek cred even further. Francesco <laughs> Della More um is a side character in the Dylan Dog comic books. And even though they look a lot alike, that was actually like a a side story in those Italian comic books, which I've tried to get my hands on. Apparently they're not available in English. Yeah, I watched I, Dylan Dog like last night. <laughs> no, are you kidding? Did it go? No, I saw a restricted video. It looked like a sci-fi channel piece of shit. Uh, well, Brandon Roth was probably the only thing that made it go. I, I don't know if it was on theaters, but it was probably the, he was the only thing that made it go any bigger than it's not that great of a movie. Yeah, I didn't even notice it was out. I, our favorite movie podcast didn't even mention it. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'll have to check Livopedia next time for the, <laughs> the quotes on Della Morte, Della More. Uh, wow. I, I think we've totally lost track yeah. of where we were. So Rob had mentioned, and I also thought that your thoughts on the house being the most important thing in pretty much any zombie story was like incredibly insightful. And I, I've read some zombie literature and I kind of watched some zombie movies. I never thought of it that way. Is that a well-known zombie fan belief or is that something you came up with? I, I guess it's just, it just kind of evolved with the story because we were so obsessed with actually being, you know, hotel proprietors <laughs> and how we would have to convince people to stay in the house. And that's, um, my fiance was talking to me about this, and she said, "Well, otherwise people would leave. So you have to, you have to convince people that the the main the the human beings in the story are going to want to protect whatever um, memory of civilization. So that in, in the story they try to entice them with having one bed better than the other, just to get them to have some sort of possession of the place, so that they want to protect it. So if if in this story where things they're supposedly paying to have this happen to them, but things get out of hand quickly, you'd still, of course you'd run. Anybody would, why would you stick around? But it just seems like that's the, that's the tradition, you know, that you have to maintain some sort of position. And in the new movies, the zombies are, you know, they're bouncing off the walls like fucking spider monkeys. So you, <laughs> outside is no, um, is, is not going to save you. But in the old movies, I guess it made more sense, too, to, um, to stay indoors. But uh, Or no, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I meant to say the exact opposite of that. It made less sense to stay indoors in the old movies because you should just be running. Because why would you want to pin yourself in? But in the new movies, you want to stay in because outside is everything outside is death with the, the numbers they they're not content just to show two or three now it's you know it's wall to wall it's like uh, starship troopers when you look out the window so <laughs> so tagging on to livius's question about that insightful thought was uh, i felt kind of like i didn't really do the story justice in a way uh when we were talking about it because i mean like you just said that made me think about how the when the when the guests are inside the building um, and you make all these really tiny, subtle references to the things that they're going through and, and the things that they have to figure out that um, the story flows so well. Um, 
I, it's not something that is, it's obvious, but it comes out well. So I have to give you credit for um, putting a lot of these very subtle but you know important things into the story, but still keeping it flowing very well and and lighthearted, but also serious and everything. It was just I, 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 on top of the insights. I think that some of the like the subtle bits were really really good. Well, well thanks. Do you mean like the um, the hints that? That uh, the people, you know, it's one of those what's different about this day situations. These people that show up might be different than what they're oh, used to. That well, kind of stuff. Well, that, but also just like when you mention um, the guests inside and, oh, you know, they didn't find this yet or those types oh, of things. I, I, it wasn't, yeah. it was not overdone at all. I thought it was done very well. But also, yes, the little hints throughout about the other thing you were mentioning, also very well done. Well, I'm just relieved that that made any sense. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned like in current uh, zombie movies, just to go back on your uh, previous comment, that it's like wall-to-wall zombies and they're bouncing all over the place. Are you like a zombie purist? Do you get upset when you see like zombies running? I know a lot of like zombie fanboys are like zombies don't run, zombies walk, they don't have the capacity to run. Are you like a zombie purist in that sense or you just enjoy a good zombie movie? Yeah, I guess it. I would have thought I, I might have been, but uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake was so well done that it didn't bother me in that, but then it bothers me when they, although there's some stuff in the Dawn of the Dead remake that drives me nuts. I, and this, this might even just be that director. He's the guy who did Sucker Punch recently. <laughs> and yeah. he might be single-handedly responsible for this, this trend. It's, it's one of the most annoying things you'll ever see, or at least to me. And, and you see it in trailers. People will fall to the ground and they'll have like one leg sticking straight out, and then they'll slowly look up at the camera. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. This sort of intimidating look, and one of the zo- little girl zombie at the beginning does that, and it's it's so irritating. I mean, nobody's—I don't think anybody's ever done that. Everybody lands after an explosion, one leg sort of the side. They slowly look up, and then what? I, I can't stand it. I, I think that then, probably comes from like the ring. If you remember, like in the ring, when the little girl like climbs out of the TV and yeah, scares yeah. the crap out of everyone, probably goes She's back to that, her, trying to recreate that. Yeah, yeah, peeking through the her black hair kind of looking that that's the kubrick look isn't it the, he had a, that look in all of his movies at the end of the shining and yeah and the guy in 2001 in the helmet and uh, uh full metal jacket the kid on the toilet everybody looks kind of under their eyelids at the camera but yeah zombies shouldn't do that <laughs> that's, my, that's my point <laughs> if that makes any sense as far as that trend on speedy zombies, I'm not sure if it was 28 Days Later that did it first. I know it's the first one I saw, and yes, I understand they weren't really zombies. They had a virus or whatever. But I got to tell you, it was really scary the first time I saw it, and I thought it was really cool. But then you're right. It's just every movie after that kind of did it, too, and it kind of lost its appeal. Yeah, I like the idea that, that there's a strategy. And I think that's the, the appeal, is especially with survival nuts. You know, you know, Not that I'm a survival nut, but I... I have friends that are, and the idea, they dream of being in some apocalyptic scenario and having to figure it out, and if people are just running, screaming at you, you have no time to show that you can outwit anything, you can't come up with a strategy. Although 28 days later, they did sort of outwit the predicament, but but you know what I mean as far as uh, with the slow approach of something, you can say, well, let's do this, and you know, if it's a zombie movie, let's uh, have a lighthearted moment where we all you know, dress up like clowns and bake a cake. And then after that montage, we go to the roof and play tennis. And 
I guess that's not really part of it. <laughs> but that's in every movie. There's a lighthearted montage in all the zombie movies. A little release of tension. Except for, was there one in 28 Days Later? Yes, there was. There was, yes. uh, yep. they, they trashed a store, didn't they? And they picked mm-hmm. out yes, they did. like expensive chocolate or something. Um, and then I guess we'll go with one more question. This just occurred to me, and then we'll kind of get off the zombie movie um, train here. Uh, did you see the AMC's The Walking Dead? Have you seen it? I did. I did. Um, yeah, I stole that online. I couldn't. I didn't have cable. <laughs> but, um, I, I, a lot of friends of mine have been reading the comic book, and they detest it. But um, I, I started to get into it. I, I like that they finally introduced a villain. I mean anything's only as good as its villain and they finally give somebody a righteous cause to be angry the guy without the hand i guess he's coming back i i don't i saw an ad where that guy without the hand was driving a truck so did i just ruin that for anybody there's gonna be a guy without the hand <laughs> i don't i don't think uh, robert dan have seen it and if anybody who hasn't seen it they deserve to have it ruined for him so. yeah and plus if you see a movie or a show where it stars the guy from henry portrait of a serial killer and you don't know that's gonna be the bad guy at some point <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you <laughs> um, i just like that they're going to be able to do this in a much longer format and that's one of the things i really liked and we had a conversation on um when we had anthony neil smith on about movies versus tv shows and just how far a tv show can go and not being limited to you know 95 minutes or whatever so i it's nice to see a zombie story that's going to be played out over hopefully you know three or four seasons at least yeah and they're getting away with a lot a lot more as far as um i don't i don't see much difference anymore i've been watching breaking bad and that looks like any hbo show as far as i can tell there's heads on turtles and i think that comes back from the beginning of csi when they started showing they'll come to a crime scene and they'll say hey let's uh let's try to figure out how this happens so they take a dummy's head and fill it full of hamburger and then they beat on it with a stick and so what you're doing is you're showing the exact same violent sequence once removed you know in the storyline but you're still showing the exact same thing you would show in an r-rated movie but they get away with it on tv by showing you that mm-hmm. this is the special effect and i think that just opened the door because after that this, they started showing that in the opening of those csi shows didn't they show somebody hit a head with a hammer and blood go everywhere was that it might have been a dream i had <laughs> it was a dream sequence okay it was a dream sequence yeah, yeah all I right. think that people just kind of forgot about that they just forgot that there was that was faking it or something does that make any sense whatsoever absolutely let's talk about csi for now <laughs> how csi desensitized us to violence I, by I, making fake violence yes, i think i've seen that show exactly once <laughs> it's a good point i never thought about it but you're right the we're the fake violence desensitized us to actual real tv violence you say that exactly how i wanted to say it. <laughs> yours was more entertaining by far okay so we know you listened to last week's episode because we have your audio editing abilities um (laughs) and we just mentioned hammers so uh sword or sledgehammer oh okay um sword or sledgehammer well sword i mean sledgehammer is too too heavy too that's like reminds me of Shaun of the dead that's the only unsatisfying thing about (laughs) Shaun of the dead the movie's a masterpiece except he's running around with a cricket bat that made no sense whatsoever and they, they made the throwing Prince albums more lethal than hitting somebody with a cricket bat. It, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. 
I, it looks like there's going to be a real good divide on this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's pretty blunt, evenly. Blunt objects. I don't think blunt objects is the way to go. I mean, you want to you want to remove the head, right? You want to if that's the rules. Well, I thought it was you destroy the brain or remove the head. So if you beat, well, that's, it's it's that's evolved too, wasn't it? The original movie, Night of the Living Dead, they didn't really say anything like that. They just sort of because one of them died with a crowbar in the head, it was assumed, and then. But then the Return of the Living Dead, the parody, is the one that where they're trying to eat your brains, but then you have to destroy the head, and uh, that's written by a co-writer of Night of the Living Dead. So, I mean, that's the closest thing you can get to an actual sequel, besides the legitimate sequels. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying he was involved too, so he gets to have a say. If Romero gets a say, then Dan O'Bannon gets a say. <laughs> that's fair. That's oh, but wait, let, let me just. I, Walking Dead. Did you guys see the last... Oh, wait, two of you haven't seen it, right? Yeah, it's it's just Livius, I think. Okay, I've seen it. This won't ruin anything, but there's a moment where they show at the very end of... I'm just kidding. There's a moment <laughs> where they show... A, it's like a, a, an MRI-looking image of a brain reactivating, and then you see a bullet go through it, and it's they're basically showing what happens at the cellular level when somebody's brain is reactivated. And that was all over the internet. Some idiot put that up as um, woman's last thoughts before dying of cancer or some shit. Oh, <laughs> wow, I totally missed that. Yeah, as if when you die of cancer, they have to put a bullet in your head. <laughs> but it was, somebody tried to put it online and it's some sort of legitimate, wow, we pulled this off the, off the MRI and this woman was dying. And Anyway. That was a dead end. You can cut that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I noticed when I was reading your story, you had the uh, the little um, the little portion in there where you'd referred to him as Dead Corps, as in Marine Corps, and then the anthology it was featured in was called Dead Corps. Was that um, and the different core, like an Apple Corps? Um, is that coincidence, or did somebody take your kind of words to heart there and like that little that little snippet? Well, that's I'm I'm glad you asked that. Because <laughs> I, I wanted people to think that the anthology was named after that moment in the story. Um, but, so I retroactively put it in there because there's a <laughs> there was a time period when she, uh, uh, Cheryl Molinell was the editor. And she, um, she's like, you know, we're, send us your edits and, you know, here's some suggestions. And, and then by that time, they'd put out the galleys for the, for the book and they'd put out these different versions of the cover so i knew what the title was so i slipped that thing in there thinking and i didn't mention it to her at all because that was really obnoxious saying i'm gonna pretend like you named this book after my story and then i even went further than that actually <laughs> the cover when i found out it had a picture of a guy if you look real close there's a guy's head who's on fire mm-hmm. i actually introduced this head torch zombie as a character as some <laughs> headlights on fire just in these blatant attempts to pretend like well, these other stories just happen to be in there. But <laughs> <laughs> so. That's awesome and very, very honest of you. Because I did, I read it, and I'd actually mentioned to Rob before we did the episode. And at that point, we kind of figured we were going to have you on, and I figured I'd save that and ask you. But it's like, did you happen to notice this? I think this might have been named after a part of his story. <laughs> it really, your your ploy worked perfectly until you revealed it I on a podcast. Really, I know it. Well, it was. Ba- <laughs> it's sort of based on, there's, there's an old zombie movie, um, what the hell is it? With the Nazi zombies? Uh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on that one. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hold on. 
Oh no. If only one of us had a device where we could look it up. I know it. Damn. I'm just talking on this giant phone. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck. I can't remember what it is. But it's um it's famous for the Nazis zombies rising up out of the water at the end. And the fact that the the people are hiding from the Nazi zombies in ovens at the end of the movie. It's pretty dangerous. <laughs> wow. Is that is that dead snow? Oh wait, uh shockwave. I swear I didn't look it up either. I don't, I don't want to risk turning off this Skype thing. But yeah, shock. <laughs> but anyway, so I was, uh, that's sort of a parody, Dead Core, because it's like a group of soldiers and, you know, Core, C O R P S, or however that is spelled. So anyway, <laughs> more answer than you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will go back and change stories to try to make them look like the cover. I'll put, I'll put anything in there I can. That's brilliant. That's definitely taking serious liberties with uh, the editing process, and it's great. Well, it's only one. It's only one sense, but it's stuck with you. So, who are some of the authors that have influenced your writing? Um, I would say, I mean, all through high school, I read every Stephen King I could get my hands on, and probably a third of Dean Koontz's books at the time. Those were those were a big deal back in the eighties. So, I mean, that's. The, vo- uh, the voice of Harlan Ellison in his nonfiction has always stuck with me, um, even though it's arguably his, his voice in his fiction, too. But I like, I like the Harlan Ellison voice. Um, I'm not a big fan of science fiction, but I like his, uh, his horror. And I guess I, he's not a fan of science fiction either, is he? Does, does he rant about the label? But... So yeah, so Harlan Ellison, I'd say uh, J.G. Ballard. I read uh, Crash and Concrete Island back to back, and that had way too much of an influence on me. And then the movie came out. Cronenberg did the movie, and I was writing about nothing but over centralized car crashes for <laughs> and about James Spader. 10, Fifteen years, yeah, and James Spader. <laughs> That's probably the best introduction of a character, though. In a movie, do you have you guys seen Crash? Not the not the Oscar winner <laughs> Crash. <laughs> uh, I did. I actually saw it a while back, closer to when it was actually released. Do you remember how James Spader is introduced? I don't. But oh, so it's, so maybe it's not the best introduction. Or you would you would remember <laughs> that the first time you see him, he's just and this is sort of similar to what I was complaining about in Watchmen, where they look up real slow. Except he looks up real slow, coming off the back of a girl's ass, like his head just. <laughs> Like Kilroy was here, he just sort of peeks up from behind her, and he's supposed to be on a movie set. And they're like, "Mr. Ballard, get on the set," because he's named after the author. Mm. Um, but yeah, he just slowly rises up with his little Kubrick stare, but he's and he kind of wipes his face. So it's, it's the great introduction of the main character. But it didn't <laughs> didn't stick with you. You'd seen that before, apparently. <laughs> Spader, James Spader is just that cool. We're we're both well. <laughs> Rob and I are both big fans of Spader. Yeah, Spader is where it's at. Yeah, he's awesome. Tough turf, man. That movie changed my life. <laughs> I recently watched The Secretary for the first time. Or I'm sorry, it's just called Secretary. And he was really, really nice and crazy in that one in a very good way. He's, he's so good in that. He circles a worm. Yeah. That. All those red that's, markers. That That's a great movie. That's a good one. Spader. <laughs> All right, since we're talking about movies, um, Livius and Rob uh, made me read your bio before I could be on this interview. So uh, you mentioned screenplay writing in your uh, bio. 
how serious are you about uh, screenplays, and uh, how does it differ from writing short stories? Um, well, I've written four screenplays, four and a half screenplays, and uh, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't know if I'd say for certain what a difference would be because I've, I'm not sure if these screenplays work as screenplays. They might just be poorly formatted novels. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if there's any difference at all. And I've taken storylines from the screenplays and I've turned them into novels and I've made those characters do other things and turned those into short stories and it's all the same pile of shit. It's the same <laughs> it's the same 12 people <laughs> doing things. So I don't know what the difference is. I don't know. I they're easier, maybe. They're quicker because they—they were dialogue heavy, and uh, I seem to burn through them. But um, is uh, there a movie style you'd like to emulate, like a or a writer style you'd like to emulate, like maybe like a Kevin Smith? I know you said like dialogue heavy. Yeah, I like dialogue heavy stuff, but um, but then I don't like I, I like to write dialogue heavy stuff, but I don't like to necessarily watch it. I don't I don't know. I might. <laughs> My favorite movies are like Once Upon a Time in the West. Doesn't that notoriously have a script that's only 20 to 25 pages long? But it's four hours of movie, so that's, uh, that's the kind of script I like to watch. Or um, what, like uh, The Road Warrior or something. Very little dialogue, but big, just kind of big desert shots of. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I, I don't. <laughs> Like more I, cinematography, yeah. Like a road see, to perdition. Oh yeah, that I like that comic book actually. Did you ever read that comic? Mm, no, nope. It's, uh, it's way different. Doesn't have Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, then forget it. <laughs> you, so you write these screenplays, and then um, some of the stuff becomes stories and stuff. Do you have aspirations of them? being filmed or is it just a, a medium that you've written in um, um well I, I was real excited when i wrote um i wrote this thing called brick house which was a prison movie script and i entered it into project Greenlight. do you guys remember Pro- mm. is that still around i don't think it's it around on- but i remember no i think it ended yeah it was this thing on hbo where you submit your script and then you know you hope that one day they'll make a little documentary about you putting the movie together and Ben Affleck was the, he was behind it. I guess you were supposed to think that his success in Goodwill Hunting, <laughs> writing that script, could be yours. So, um, so I submitted it to that, and uh, I got past the first couple rounds where the, the process is, this is where it was deeply flawed. The process is that other screenwriters are the only people evaluating your script. So there are a bunch of hateful fucks that want you to fail, and all they do is list everything that's not just list everything that's wrong with your script, but they also they're smart asses. Like they don't take it seriously in the least. And I'm not sure what's actually no, I shouldn't say that because I I know exactly what won the year that I didn't get any further in the second round. It was that, it was that uh, stolen summer. See, see now, you, what a mark that made on the world. Does anybody remember Stolen Summer? Never even. No, heard it's it. a lot of a lot of silence. Crickets. And the thing is, this prison movie. Part of the evaluation was if you could conceivably film it on a decent budget, and uh, 
you know, I had made sure that it was something that could be done on a small budget. Like there's a moment in it where um, there, there's a gun circulating in the prison, but they don't have a bullet for it. So somebody on the outside is going to try to fly a bullet in on a remote control um, airplane. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, fly it over the yard. And it's like this <laughs> ongoing thing where these airplanes keep flying in and they keep shotgunning them down. They're like, who the fuck's doing that? Because these, these are special airplanes with, like, a five-mile remote control radius. I don't know if that was <laughs> feasible back, in, back, like, ten years ago, but... But anyway, so there's this sequence where these remote control airplanes are getting shot down. And the fir- when it got to the second round, I get back this big sheet with the evaluations from the other Project Greenlight assholes. And it's like, <laughs> first of all, we cannot film all these explosions. You have 12 plane crashes. And it's like, you dumb fuck. Did you read anything? This is a remote control plane. You can make it out of balsa wood. <laughs> it's not, they, they thought I was talking about that actual airplanes being shotgunned every three or four pages so it's a, it was a flawed system <laughs> project green light but what was, what was the whole point of oh yes brick house. <laughs> so i got discouraged after that and uh so I, I didn't write another screenplay until um uh, my dad gave me a copy of uh um what's his name robbins the guy who wrote yeah. uh no not the uh, singer the guy who wrote big iron that old Western song, um, Big Irony, you guys ever hear that? Social Distortion, uh, did, they did a cover of it. Oh, man. Mm. Uh, yeah, have, you the, have you picked the music for this podcast yet? No, actually, we were going to ask you to give us some help on that. It's but, Marty Robbins. But yes, yes. So, but, so now the music is already played that you picked, that you're asking me help with. So you'll know if I tell you a song I want, <laughs> you, don't, you don't play it, I just look like an idiot. Is that, what's, is that what's gonna happen? Yeah, it's a total or, setup. Or Rob looks like an idiot for not playing it after you ask for it. Well, we should have the social distortion version of Big Iron. Well, my... Congratulations, that's probably the only way that social distortion <laughs> would ever get onto the podcast. <laughs> really? Seriously? You don't like Social D? I uh, can't get into them, man. I tried. A little, little rockabilly action? Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like Bjork. To uh, the way Livius feels about Bjork is the way I feel about social right, distortion. I've seen, I've seen enough, or heard enough of your podcast to hear this Bjork <laughs> running joke. What? What? Does somebody get a Bjork CD in their stocking or something? What do you guys? Well, Rob, Rob just really likes Bjork, and <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've I like, heard. I like Dancer in the Dark, where she it takes oh. like minutes for her to get hung at the end. That was messed up. Has anybody else seen that, Dancer in the Dark? That's traumatizing. Oh, you know? man. Lars von Trier, right? That's the guy that made the movie? Yeah. The dogma guy, yeah. That guy does some disturbing stuff. That movie really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, that'll fuck I, I've, heard, I've heard cats fuck with more grace than Bjork sings. Oh. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so social distortion, whatever. We'll put it on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want it on now. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear Bjork. I want to hear the song "Dancer in the Dark" when she's going to get hung. When she sings, it's like acapella. Uh-huh. It's like heart wrenching. That's what she, you should do at the end of this. Crank that Bjork song when she's getting hung. God damn you, David James Keaton! I think that's about <laughs> the only way that Bjork will ever make it onto this show is at your request. So thanks. Because <sighs> now people are going to want. They're going to want to hear that. 
You may as well ask us to have Dan's co-host on. That's that's uh, <laughs> about just as bad. Wow. We could have him doing karaoke of Bjork and Social D. <laughs> yeah, he's a karaoke <laughs> DJ. Oh, if only we had notes that said Rob with five question marks after it next to the next question. <laughs> I'm so distracted thinking about Bjork hanging at the end of that movie. I can't get I can't get past it. Um, yeah. All right, so back to it. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, the novel that you're currently working on? Yeah, that um, Spunkwater's the name of it. It's uh, it, that also was a, started out as a screenplay, but um, screenplay kind of went awry it's mostly based on um stories that a friend of mine a former paramedic keeps telling me so it's it's about it's about paramedics doing doing terrible things i guess it's the best way to sum it up <laughs> uh yeah i don't know uh, there's uh there's an excerpt from it uh it uh shotgun honey the story warning signs um although in the you know, I like to retroactively make things excerpts and change shit later. So it, now it's an excerpt because I've crammed it into the novel. That was just a, an interlude that I was thinking of about defibrillators, and um, I made I made space for it. So that's now an excerpt from the book. I, I read that earlier today, and um, it's quite funny. Dialogue heavy, um, very very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, there's, I have another one out there. Um, actually, I don't know if that one would count, but it, uh Dog's Plot. It's a flash fiction site. Real, real short stuff. Um, there's, uh, that's also from Spunk Water, but it's only about three or four sentences, so it's probably not going to matter that that's where it's from. But it was three or four sentences I liked more than that entire chapter so i wanted to salvage it that was when i didn't think i was going to finish working on the on the book so i started sending out chunks um, um so the book is finished what what stage of the process is it in currently i finished a first draft uh i, I was going to start a second draft but i got distracted with the old zbnb stuff my goal was to finish the second draft by the end of august so i'm a little a little behind um like right now, I, I'm not, I'm not happy with where it is, but uh, I just, I assume it's going to open up. The, the characters are just doing things that no one would ever do, so that has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> just as a way to bully myself to get to the end, I made them do a lot of definitive things <laughs> that make no sense. <laughs> That's I don't understand it because I. I I sort of mapped this one out. I knew exactly how it was going to go, and it and it's been a, a struggle with like every page. But stuff like ZB and B and um, that stuff was easy. It's like ten, fifteen pages a day. This thing, I'm lucky if I get like three pages a day. Um, I know one of the other projects you're working on is Flywheel Magazine. Can you tell our listeners a little about what it is and why you're doing it? Yeah, it's. Um, you know, the best way to describe Flywheel, I, uh, I spent a lot of time on the um, sort of mission statement and guidelines page. And then I read the guidelines page at this other one called Burnt Bridge that's much better. <laughs> it seems to say exactly what I wanted to say. So if you want to know what Flywheel's about, 
go to Burnt Bridge, <laughs> read their guidelines, and he says it much more eloquently than I did. It's, sim- it's very similar. I was amazed how similar, but he just, I don't know, he crafted his sentences a little better. So <laughs> that helps. That's, that's more. But yeah, it was uh, formed from the ashes of uh, disgruntled hot metal bridge people. There's literary magazine at Pitt hot metal bridge I was involved with and I always wanted we actually had a meeting about what this magazine was going to be called and I wanted it to be called Flywheel I even showed up with pictures of flywheels from <laughs> car parts and and everybody had voted and it was a tie and they wanted to go with Flywheel but then other people wanted hot metal bridge because that's the name of a bridge in Pittsburgh and there was going to be a tiebreaker and then somebody was like flies are gross and then <laughs> It didn't get to be flywheel, so I've always held a grudge about that. <laughs> so that was the main reason for forming it. Out of yeah, I like that you formed it out of uh, <laughs> not revenge, but oh, damn it, what's the word I'm thinking of? Spite, uh, out of spite. You formed it fully out of spite. Immaturity, immaturity is what you're looking for. <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we just put out our first issue. Um, we got a lot of great stuff in there. If people want to go go check it out alright <clears throat> where would you like to see Flywheel go uh, we, we're going to have an issue out this December we've accepted a couple stories so far and we've got uh, we'd like to maybe do a yearly best of um, print anthology or, or maybe just put out a submit call for submissions for, for a yearly print version kind of a I guess we're is it a bi-yearly I don't know the first one took a little longer than we thought, but um, right now we're having a, a contest. We can't seem to get any any people to submit to. It's uh, a friend of mine took a picture of these two dead mice. Well, technically, it's one dead mouse. Uh, he was staying up at a cabin, and he opened up a drawer, and there was one swollen dead mouse, and then a little scattering of bones and fur next to it. <laughs> So it's, it's clear that there were two mice at one point that they couldn't get out of the drawer and one must have eaten the other one and then died. <laughs> so he, he sent me this picture and um, I just figured it would be a great story prompt and it's up at Flywheel right now. And if anybody can write a poem, a story, anything to deal with this, this picture that, that we like, we're, we'll stick it up and we'll draw attention to it and it'll be our little interlude mini episode. We already titled it for you. It's Monaga Mouse. Is the name of the, the story. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, you can use that title or not, but you'll you'll score extra points if you use that title because I'm very proud of that title. So, do you want to mention where we'll people can find Flywheel? Um, yeah, uh, flywheelmag.com, I believe. I should I should know this. Right? <laughs> We're gonna link My to point. all of it um, on our website after uh, when the post goes up too. So. Yeah, that's that's what it, my my yeah managing editor uh, Devin Goldstein's gonna be very upset that I didn't know the address. If it's not Flywheel Mag, it should be. It, it's under it's under FlywheelAwesome dot com. <laughs> Excellent. But no, seriously, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's that's there right now that we are really really lucky to get. There's um the infamous Chuck Kinder that uh, teaches creative writing at Pitt 
has a story in there. Redneck shoots down flying saucer. <laughs> Highly recommend the story. It's got 73 exclamation points in it. That's and it's definitely a record. In how short of a story? Um, it's one paragraph. <laughs> okay. No, it's 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 a typical length. It's a typical story length. I just went to flywheelmag.com and there's six alone in the title. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Wow. We're very pr- we were very proud to lasso that one. We are, um, actually the last thing we put on the blog uh, is an interview with Chuck, and the interview has quite a few exclamation points too. <laughs> and you know what? He's he's uh, you know I listed Stephen King, Harlan Ellison, J.G. Ballard. I'll put Chuck up there. Late in life, he's a huge influence. His book, um, Last Mountain Dancer, especially. I would recommend people go find Last Mountain Dancer. It should have got a lot more attention than it did. came out a few years ago. Now, uh, this is off-subject completely, but are you any, uh, by chance, uh, like a fan of guns? Your Facebook profile has several pictures of you with guns. Oh, that was... Uh that was um, Anthony Neal Smith's idea. When I had a story in Plots with Guns, he wanted everybody to send a picture with a gun. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't own a gun or anything. We just, <laughs> we're, we're playing with guns at the time. I, and, uh, yeah, I happened to notice. I was like, I think this dude's kind of a gun nut. <laughs> See, yeah, this, not the gun part of that. <laughs> <laughs> just a nut. We'll blame it on uh, good Doc Noir himself. Yeah, he wanted... Uh, if you go, I don't know if he still got that uh, in the archives. It was special issue. No, I'm sure it's the individual stories are there, but he had the sweet poster that I made out of the um, initial page, and it's all the authors for that issue holding a gun, and some of them were holding Nintendo guns, and some of them were holding shotguns like Matt <laughs> McBride. Uh, he's got a double barrel shotgun. And I just borrowed my stepdad's guns because I knew he had about ten guns hidden in that house. So he let me hold his um, 357. It was, but yeah, I don't own a gun because if I had a gun, I would kill so many people. <laughs> Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was going to mention earlier that uh, since you had three names, it would it make you a better author or a better assassin? So uh, <laughs> that goes with the gun comment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and. Oh, Dan, I'm totally stealing this. Dan wanted to ask this earlier, but like with the three names, uh, if you were to assassinate someone, who would it be? Oh, shit. It's, a, it's a great question, and I totally stole it from Dan. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hold on, guys. The Secret Service is calling on the phone. Hold on. <laughs> In a story, who would you assassinate? Put it that way. Well, that, I have a little recorder that I, um, that I use to record Dan's um, transgressions. <laughs> And I have, I used to use it to record uh, license plate numbers of people that would cut me off on the highway. <laughs> so the, uh, I guess the answer would be this one right here. This was a truck that cut me off on uh, 79, um, I-79, probably about six months ago. So this right here. I'm an elite company, is what you're saying. That's the license plate number. I cut off the last number there so that I won't go to jail tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. 
switching gears back to <laughs> back to something that's not going to get anybody arrested. Um, what would End you of say? Interview. End of interview. <laughs> I like it. I think we should run with it, killing people. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> what do you think is the best novel ever written? Oh Jesus Christ, dude! Um, the Executioner's Song. Fair enough. I had never read it, so I have no comment on that. I apologize. I'll wait. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Rob's ordering it on Amazon right now. It should only be about two weeks before he has a response for it. Yeah, it's it's just a nice tiny little read. It lands on any side. It's that thick. You throw it in the air, it'll land on any side. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember, I think it might have been a made-for-TV movie when I was, like, 10 or 11 that was based on that. Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's that's the milk toast version. I'll go with that. I'll stick by that answer. You're just making us right. look like we're uh, not well-read people, so. <laughs> I, would, I would say a close second would be um, Stephen King's The Stand. Tough to beat that one. That's the second time this is this has come up on uh, on one of our episodes on one of our interview episodes. Really? Um, and who, I, who else? Who said that? Um, oh, it was Christopher J. Dwyer, I believe. We had a kind of a conversation about the stand versus Robert McCammon's Swan Song, which is kind of similar in scope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stand has a much better cover, and you should always judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Swan Swan Song has a terrible cover. You are correct. If I remember correctly, it was all yellow and red and had like a demon's head on fire or something, which didn't do the story justice. <laughs> right. Whereas, for some reason, the stand has what looks like two elves fighting, which is, it isn't much better. <laughs> I, I'll give you a little confession while, uh, really quick. Uh, the stand, I'm not, uh, if you listen to any of our episodes, I'm notoriously not a, uh, a Stephen King fan and I think the stand is actually what put me off him for good. I, I've read some other stuff, uh, some of his other books and the stand, you know, I was a teenager and it was highly recommended to me. And I, I got, I want to say I got 60 pages in. And then at that point I said to myself, I don't goddamn care about another character being introduced. And I just couldn't go on from there. And from then on, I just kind of wrote off Stephen King altogether. I know it might be petty or short sighted, but I just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, there's a, what is it, hundreds of pages of setup because he brings in so many characters. And I mean, it might be, it's easier just to give him one character trait, but, um, you know, he was trying to lay a, a, a big, big canvas. And um, I can see what you mean, especially the, there's that new version. He did an extended version, mm-hmm. and there's, e- there's even more characters that he introduces. But once, once all hell breaks loose, it's probably. It it holds up as one of the most realistic depictions of society just going off the rails. There was a moment that they put in the new version that they had cut out. Of, I again, you, you don't know if it's it was cut out or if he thought of it later because there's references to <laughs> teenage mutant ninja turtles now that wasn't in the original, and it's like I, I'm pretty sure you didn't have a time machine originally. Right <laughs> um. But there was there's a moment where uh, there's there are people in a in an auditorium and they've taken all their driver's licenses and they put them in sort of a lottery tumbler and they're pulling them out and executing people and just complete crazy shit that um, that they had dropped in the 
initial version, which you might have read, and just to get to the point when it's uh, just two bands of people, you know, fighting for good or evil or whatever, but it's that breakdown that I remember, and um, that's why that's why I probably put it at number two. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, Dan's co-host Joe, who um, if anybody who's listening to the podcast will find it's hard to believe, he's almost through with the uh, the new version of the stand. We were just talking about it the other day, and. Uh, he felt, and I'm not sure how he knows what the new parts are, if that's actually clearly stated in the book, but he said uh, he felt it added to it and that a lot of it had to do with, uh, a lot of it had to do more with the breakdown of society than was originally in it, and he found those parts very interesting. So, not interesting enough for me to go back and read another <laughs> thousand-page Stephen King book again, but <laughs> interesting enough to mention, I guess. I wouldn't trust a word he says, though. He oh, probably hasn't read it. I don't think he's read it, but I think he says he is. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's like, his business card should say, I'm not a fan of the written word, because he says it on basically every episode we do, is says he's 700 pages into that book. That would be a clever business card, because it would be written in words. See, that sounds he suspicious. Has, <laughs> he also, he, like, uh, there's a segment on the show where Joe can't spell, and on his actual business card, he has two typos. <laughs> He actually has misspelled words on his business card. That's that's a bit suspicious. That's like uh, the other day, the guy had uh, infinite jest in the laundromat. I put a picture up on Facebook. Mm -hmm. One of you guys might have commented, "Unbroken spine." He's just like kicking around infinite jest to the. I mean, I I just think it's prop. I think he carries. You think it was posturing? I just don't see how you could have an unbroken spine in that book. Yeah, I remember seeing that comment, and it was absolutely hilarious. You talking about uh, you felt like you were in some crappy indie film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was definitely in a crappy indie film. <laughs> What's the only explanation that he bought it that day? So he bought it on the way to do his laundry. Like if nothing's coming, nothing's making sense. And when I took a picture of it, he flipped out and like gathered it up and put it in his bag. I wonder why somebody's randomly taking a picture of his book. <laughs> well, wow. Anyway, odd book appearances. I don't know if, um, if well, I know Rob watches True Blood. I don't know if he's caught up, but um, True Blood season four not going so hot. Um, but uh, Sookie Stackhouse, the main character in that, was actually reading a Charlene Harris book in her kitchen um, oh, during the last that. episode, which was um, it was just terrible. I mean, they they didn't make it terribly obvious. You caught kind of like half the cover, like the lane and the wrist part, but enough to if you're familiar with with authors or book trends to see that she's reading a book by the author who wrote the book that the TV show is based on. So I think Livius, I think you and I should take credit for that because I did mention on an earlier episode that mm-hmm. they should, uh, the thing about Charlene Harris, um, the time machine where she goes into the future and is inspired by true blood and writes books. Mm-hmm. I think we should take credit for that. Well, we took credit. We took credit earlier today for uh, David Foster Wallace's suicide. Apparently, <laughs> suicide king. I want to. Can I change my answer with my favorite books? Yes. Sure. Okay, I'm gonna have. Um, I'm gonna have a tie for first place with Crash and the World According to Garp. Uh-huh. Number two. It will be a tie between the stand and the executioner song, and number three will be Ballard's Concrete Island. That's the new. That's the new list. So that's five items. A top three made of five items. <laughs> Have you guys ever read Concrete Island? Mm, no. Nope. Is this 
What's this podcast called? <laughs> I started thinking that as you kept mentioning books, and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Well, it's it's uh, it, it's sort of a companion piece to Crash because everybody knows about Crash, but um, Concrete Island's about a guy who uh, there's a car wreck and he's stuck at the bottom of this um, sort of clover leaf of uh, highways, and he can't climb up because he's injured too badly, and all he's got is a case of wine and a ham sandwich or something so the entire book is this guy stuck under this highway and um just thinking about stuff every so often he'll crawl up there and get close someone will bounce a can off his head or something and uh i think he meets like a fucking uh juggler from the circus so that's when the, it, it kind of jumps that's why it's number three on my list because it introduces characters when it should have just stuck with him like the movie the quiet earth when two other characters show up, it should have just stuck with that guy for the whole book. But it's it's still so good that I would I would put it in my top three of all time. Concrete. All right, so ZBMB is available um, via Amazon and Nook for ninety nine cents. Uh, do you own a Kindle? I do not. I have um, I have the Kindle for PC. I downloaded. So I I read my Kindles on the screen. I'm in the market for one here this Christmas, I think. But uh, I guess that was kind of leading into what do you feel about the digital book format? Um, I, I had some fun with it. I, I used the hyperlinks to go directly to certain sections, and I put a couple little Easter eggs in there with the, these little skull drawings I put. So if you click on the skull, it'll go to this certain spot um, for reasons that Makes sense only to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. I was going to ask you about that because I was I was clicking on those and uh, uh, I didn't go too too far into it. I just was really checking to see if they they worked and everything because you were asking on Twitter, I think. And then I was thinking, I wonder what I wonder what the, uh, yeah. Slow, I wonder. Down. Slow down. I don't know what they're for. You. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they work, and that's that's a big step. We can click on shit. Now it's um, at least well. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to say, not just because I don't know. <laughs> but if you, if you click on stuff, you go, you bounce all around. It's like uh, it's like the choose your own adventure. Remember those books? Oh yeah. Well, that can be the the, the homework project. You can have people write in and tell you what they think the reason is for their links. Yeah, it's exactly like choose your own adventure. If if you're reading choose your own adventure and somebody <laughs> yanked it out of your hand, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense either. <laughs> um, what else what else do you have in the works coming up um let's see there's uh uh this winter um i got a story coming out in crime factory called either way it ends with a shovel loosely based on some las vegas adventures i had at my friend's wedding it's um without giving too much away i uh, i based a story on me and uh, this friend of mine and these two other guys, we went and for the first time I'd never played roulette before. So for the first time we're playing roulette and poker and we're running around the MGM Grand just making total fools out of ourselves. And when we got to the roulette table, I, we violated every possible rule <laughs> of a casino. I, I mean, it was all innocent. It, was, it sounds like we were just being belligerent, but it was just... You know, like you want to see what the ball feels like. You want to like 
you want to see where what's under there <laughs> and like every time we made a move there was somebody tapping us on the shoulder with this list of infractions and you know you think well i want to take a picture of that you can't take a picture of that and so i sort of started a list of things that we should have pun- been punished more severely for and um <laughs> then i came up with i was studying this uh, roulette i guess you call it a roulette dealer the guy who's spinning the wheel because we would stumble down there in the morning and uh still in our shorts and walk up to the roulette wheel and start playing it and this guy got to know us pretty well um his name was dave too actually or david and um so st- studying david for days um i came up with a scam of how i would steal from a roulette table and um it just seemed like a good combination just to have the scam that i think would work so if anybody wants to read crime factory this uh, this winter, there is a scam in there that I think is solid. I think that you could pretty much easily steal ten thousand dollars. You might find yourself in a basement, <laughs> but <laughs> I think this scam is solid. You need you need um, those little sticky uh, those little sticky squids you get out of bubblegum machines, and you would need two pieces of duct tape and some cufflinks that look like eight balls and a copy of the Beatles' White Album. <laughs> and <laughs> three fifty pound ball bearings. No, this this fucking everything. Hey, I'm starting to think. <laughs> I'm starting to think that your goal is just to get us arrested. The Secret Service has already been to my house, and now we're stealing shit from Vegas. Well, when uh, we put up that plots with guns list of pictures with guns, um, I had a friend who was in the Secret Service. She defriended me on Facebook because of those pictures. Uh-huh. So. It's That's not the a kind good. of friend you don't need. That's right. It's just a cautionary tale out there. <laughs> I don't. I, I didn't even think that. I, I'm surprised that people in the Secret Service can have social network uh, uh, profiles and stuff. I know that some people in the in like different agencies in the government just are completely f- like they cannot have any kind of social media presence at all. Well, I was. Um, when she was being uh, interviewed for the job, they they gave her a list of these um, tests on the polygraph, and she was going to give me that list of questions because I was so fascinated by that process. <laughs> and uh, that was right before right before she left town, and um, I never got that list of questions. She defriended me. I don't know what happened once you're in the Secret Service, but maybe those kind of funny conversations you have. <laughs> They're not, they're not so funny anymore. Like, they were telling her that you couldn't, um, what is there's like an exercise that women do to strengthen certain muscles, kegels or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yep. That, yeah. Af- that, that affects the polygraph test, apparently. <laughs> and she, she was talking, and th- I guess they said to her, uh, they weren't, they, they made her cry by asking her if she ever stole money from, I don't know, it's, it sounds like a fucking power play. But they, the guy then admitted to her, it's okay, we all cry when we take this test, which is pretty sad if that's this crack team of uh, <laughs> protective <laughs> agents. If the best thing you can do is uh, once you cry, you're in. Here's your stamp. <laughs> so all this stuff I was finding really fascinating right before she vanished from the face of the earth. So This just makes me want to make a spoof like social media Twitter account and Facebook with like, the person who works for the Secret Service just have like goofy shit put up there. Until they show up at my house. Talk about how you cry a lot. Yeah. yeah. 
you cry a lot, and that's that's their Achilles heel. They, they slowly put the gun away. They're like, they give you a hug, and they're out the door. I cry right, like, I saw Obama sneak a sneak a cigarette today. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> what was the what was the uh, uh, deep thoughts with Jack Handy? <laughs> Yeah. So, I want to give the president a chocolate gun, but I think he's really busy, so I should run up really fast and give it to him. <laughs> oh, those were great. <laughs> Let's take a turn. Let's take a turn. So, but yeah, oh, Kindle. The 99 cent books. Uh, <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited about these 99 centers. Um, I don't know if it's bad for books or whatever, but uh, it's kind of sweet. To buy a book for 99 cents and i've got three in my queue right now i'm reading uh actually yellow medicine and hog dog and you guys had on there you had anthony neil smith on i'm creeping through his his minnesota stuff and um raise a holler by uh, jason stewart that one um that one i just finished and it actually reminded me a lot of chuck kinder's stuff the redneck redneck shoots down a ufo story Mm. I mean, it's it's a similar voice. It's I don't know if he's from um, West Virginia, but it reminded me of that that voice. So those are my Kindles. Besides the ones they give you for free, like Aesop's Fables and Persuasion, <laughs> <laughs> the Sherlock Holmes book. Yes. Um, I know you mentioned you don't have a Kindle yet. Did you hear the news today that there's going to be an Amazon tablet coming out later this year? And uh, it's projected for October. And would you rather read on the black and white e-ink screen, or you think you'd prefer the color of like the color Nook or the iPad? I want I want color just because of the cover of this thing. I want to see in color. So it's pretty selfish reason. I want to see we, my own cover in color. We loved your original artwork, by the way. I know we mentioned it on <laughs> Facebook, but it was just fantastic. And I quite honestly, if I were you, I would have just considered running with that as a cover oh the poor our poor artist dan i i um had a series of uh <laughs> of prototypes when uh, and he was just uh, he's, i think he was at the end of his rope um I, I love the way it turned out and for a while for a while i just kept having ideas because i'd be up all night and then i'd send him i'd think that i was just having this conversation with this very patient person because he's <laughs> he's asleep because it's four and five in the morning and then in the morning he'd have nine emails from me with all these suggestions. Like, I think you should put this person on the house and maybe if we did this and did this. And finally he sent me an email that just said blank incredulous stare. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point I, I left him alone. I backed off and, uh, but he did pretty much render that sketch about as coherent as you could. I mean, I'm, I, I thought it was awesome when he finally unveiled it. It's pretty uh, faithful. But I'm glad you guys brought it up because it is now on the last page. Did you guys did you guys get a copy where it's the last page of the Kindle? Oh, I have it. I haven't looked at it that yet though. Maybe I can do the right it right. is uh, it is the last page. So yep. little bonus. David, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Let's see. Uh, the story coming out in Needle in the next couple months. Uh, it's called Schrodinger's Rat. And um, it's the further adventures of some the characters from the prison script. Right, just kind of went went off on a tangent. Um, it's not part of the script, but 
It's uh, was somebody talking about Sherlock Holmes earlier? Oh, I mentioned that? that you could get the free Kindle ebooks of Sherlock oh. Holmes. Uh, the Schrodinger's rat is sort of uh, the idea is what would happen, what would actually happen to Sherlock Holmes in a contemporary prison? Like, would how much danger <laughs> would he be in with his special brand of observation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd he'd really quickly figure out some really uncomfortable things. I think that's where <laughs> that would go. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's like the great 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 grandson of Sherlock or of Arthur Conan Doyle is goes to prison and it's sort of a way to punish Sherlock Holmes, I guess. So that's coming out <laughs> needle. And uh, so is is rat a play on the word like uh, in in the sense of the, like the word snitch? Yes, it is. It's, and it's a play on the, the quantum physics thing, the Schrodinger's mm-hmm. cat. And um, also, I had been watching a lot of lockup episodes, and they had a cat program. <laughs> where they give all the prisoners cats, which you think would be a really bad idea, but apparently it's the best thing that could happen to them. It makes them passive and love their cats. But my story is what would happen if, um, if the cat program was, like, the worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> so combination of those things <laughs> so that one's coming out so those two those two on the horizon for now and uh, I'm working on a short story collection Fish Bites Cop it kind of goes after various law enforcement figures common theme of all the stories is a healthy distrust of law enforcement it's on not just cops though it's got security guards firemen um, bounty hunter. There's a bounty hunter story in there. Because I fucking hate Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> the, the story's a thinly veiled assault on him and his family. <laughs> All your inspiration is just that, so wonderfully spiteful. Yeah, it's, that statement alone makes me want to read it. Well, luck, luckily, I, luckily, I disguised it so well that no one will know. It's actually characters called Cat the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> It's actually you can read that now. It's on, um, it's on uh, Fug Lit. It's in a it's in another Christmas issue with uh, Chris Holm had uh, eight pounds. That story he turned uh, that into a collection. Eight pounds being the weight of a human head, of course. If we've seen Jerry Maguire, <laughs> <laughs> so you can see what that story is about. But uh, but yeah, it's a good issue. Their Christmas issue from two thousand nine has uh, my dog, the bounty hunter salt in it um, it's called uh, life expectancy in a trunk depends on traffic is the name of the story you should link to that we're going to link to all There's. it's going to be a very link heavy post <laughs> uh, speaking of links do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet um, davidjameskeaton.com that's brand new right yeah, it's like 24 hours old. <laughs> the paint is still drying. There's nothing there but a frog lifting weights. <laughs> I, Livius it's, and Rob wanted to ask you about the background picture. I, I don't think they saw your Facebook post earlier where you sent me the link to it. Oh, that was... Because um, I thought we were going to talk about geckos. I'm not, I wasn't prepared to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> Books <laughs> and writing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to talk about my geckos. You got me all excited, but... Um, that's actually a picture of my last gecko after it died. My friend Nate uh, put it in a 
plant holder and let it sit to skeletonize all winter and um, then took all these series of creepy pictures of it. Um, so that was that was Sir Pizza, my gecko. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about hearing I'm paying 50 bucks for a gecko and my friend Jerry um, out in uh, the, the, the West, he's like, yeah, I, I scrape that shit off my car every day. You're paying 50 bucks for these things. <laughs> and they're, they're in my goddamn mailbox. So, anyway. <laughs> It was good to be here. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned your website. Do you also want people to find you online? The Twitter, or do you want people to add you as friends on Facebook? Or are you going to make a Facebook page? Um, yeah, I might do that eventually. For now, I guess... Uh, oh, sorry about that. Did you hear the fat beats of uh, le- when the levee breaks? <laughs> that came that through my- clear. Your own personal theme music there. Now that's uh, I'm, I was supposed to go get some pizza, and um, they're wondering where I'm at. And now they're going to hear it, and I'm going <laughs> to feel like a pimp because I'm talking about being wanted in two places at once on the air. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, have ran so long if Dan wasn't so long-winded. Yeah, Dan, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, just go to uh, if you go to davidjameskeaton.com. It has a list of links to writing and uh flywheelmag.com that is about the only two reputable sites i can steer you towards <laughs> i have a i have a blog that no one is allowed to see sort of under the radar and i'm i'm just telling you about it because <laughs> no one's ever going to see it so you can't see that but that's out there like floating this just non-stop horrible rants and things that'll never see the light of day but you can't see that is there a prize if we find it? Yeah, it's called. It was called the Low Road, so that, but that's a big dead end now. But you, you knock yourself out. <laughs> Try right, a combination, combination of key phrases that you think might be in there. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we're really glad that we could have you on. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks for reading that uh, ZB&B. Um, appreciate that. And, uh, I'm, just, I'm just really itching to hear what this end music is going to be. <laughs> but, I, but I don't know what it is, so I'm just waiting for whatever you're going to choose in a week. <laughs> All right. This is, this is time travel, dude. <laughs> All right, once again, thanks a lot. Yeah, big thank you once again to David James Keaton for talking to us tonight. That was a, that was a pretty good interview there, I think. Yeah, it was definitely great to have him on. And thanks, Dan, once again, for coming on to guest with us. Why don't you tell people how they can uh, find you and your podcast, The Fatinay Podcast? The Fatinay Podcast is available at fatinaypodcast.com. Uh, and we're also on iTunes, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook. We're, everybody, we're everywhere we need to be. Um, just go ahead and give us a listen and leave us a comment and let us know what you think. Thanks a lot for having me again, guys. Sounds Absolutely, good. Dan. Thanks. Thanks for being on. You'll be able to catch a link to the Fatney podcast um, in the body of this episode. Should I give a disclaimer though? Uh, we're fairly inappropriate, and uh, we touch on some adult and mature subject matter. So it's not for anyone under the age of eighteen or twenty-one, depending if uh, you know pornography is legal in your state. So keep that in mind. While we're on that topic, let's do. Uh, <laughs> booked. Booked does not endorse the statements made by any guests on this show. Well. <laughs> All right, that'll just about do it for Booked this week.
I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Ned, and keep listening. And hope to die till it's over and